0: For as long as I can remember, we have always focused on not just what we're doing with our farming practices to do the best for our cows, but also to be focused on how do our farming practices impact the environment around our farm. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast.
1: One of the main things that will cause a family farm, a multi-generational family farm to die, to go away, is that transition time where it could just be too hard for the farm to pass from one generation to the next. It sounds easy, but maybe the next generation doesn't want to farm or has chosen a different lifestyle to pursue Or maybe it's just too complicated with all the legal stuff that has to happen, the finances, all that stuff is really hard to do. And this week on the Real Food, Real People podcast, we talk with a farmer who's going through that right now. Uh, She and her siblings are working on taking over the multi-generational family farm, small dairy near Linden, Washington, uh, taking it over from her parents, and it's... Not easy, as she describes, but she shows her passion for wanting to keep that going one way or the other and and having to do other things to be able to make it work financially, including working other jobs and things like that. She also has a passion for education, uh, and she's also a professional educator at the same time as being a farmer. Her name is Ellie Steensma. Uh, the farm is, is Steensma Dairy and Creamery, again near Linden, Washington, and she shares her story and her family's background and her passion for all of this with us on the podcast today. Want to thank our sponsors, Mana Insurance Group, for one sponsoring the Real Food, Real People podcast this season. We appreciate their support and we appreciate their mentality. They're all about kind of taking a more holistic approach to protecting your financial future rather than just waiting for something to go wrong and then trying to fix things. They want to plan ahead and be a part of helping your family get to where it needs to be and protecting it if if anything goes wrong. Um, The owner, the founder of Mana Insurance Group is actually a, a classmate of mine from high school and before, really good guy. So I'm really comfortable working with them and and passing their uh, name along to you as a really awesome, trustworthy uh, company to work with. Also, Dairy Farmers of Washington, it is June Dairy Month and uh, great we're talking about a dairy this week here on the podcast they have so many more resources available at wadairy.org as well stories of other farms things going on with dairy Uh, it's really cool stuff that they're doing to shine a light on what's happening with farming and dairy farming here in washington state even a virtual farm tour if you want to check that out again wadairy.org be great for you to go check that out and and if you get the chance or interact with them on social media thank them for supporting the Real Food, Real People podcast and making this possible. Also, Washington Red Raspberries are supporting the podcast. We thank them uh, for their support, as well as Williams, who uh, graciously, generously gave the podcast a community grant to support what we're doing here and the stories we're sharing as well. Williams, uh, Powering Your Clean Energy Future. So thank you to those sponsors. Again, this is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, your host, and this is my journey all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. So you're in the middle of like a huge transition time right now with your farm. Mm -hmm. Explain what's going on.
0: Well, my parents have been farming here on this land since... I want to say 1981 okay, um, yeah. and my siblings and I have grown up here you know we've really loved just the farming life we have dairy farm but then we also have a lot of other animals chickens ducks dogs cats you know the works
2: mm-hmm.
0: and my parents are kind of in the phase right now where they're kind of wanting to hand it off to us and so All of my siblings, we've been really blessed in our family just that all of us, you know, want to be involved with the farm. I know that for a lot of families, some of the, there's a lot of, you know, difficulty with that, you know, kids not wanting to take over and then that tradition is kind of lost. But we're really, you know, proud of what we have here and we want to keep it going. And so my siblings and I are in the process of, um, two of my siblings are part owners of the farm now and um, all of us just kind of help out and eventually hopefully my parents will kind of phase out and get the retirement that they have earned after you know for almost 40 years of working right. here.
1: Well that's the big question with farming because if you work an office job there's usually like some kind of retirement savings account mm-hmm. some sort of program that doesn't happen when you're self-employed in farming so the farm itself is your retirement account. Yeah. And depending on when it's time for you to retire, it may be worth a lot or it may not be worth much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the scary part. And it may be worth a lot, but you want to keep it in the family and your kids don't have enough to to buy it. Like how, how do you work that out? This is the thing that kills so many family farms from continuing to the next generation, right?
0: Yeah, it is a challenge and you know, there have been tough times, you know, where we weren't sure what we were going to do next. But um, with the process, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made with, you know, what do we as the next generation want to do that's going to look different from what was done in the past? And there's a little bit of a tug of war with that because. Yeah. Older generations, and we saw this, you know, with when my parents took the farm from my grandparents. Mm. There was a little bit of tug-of-war of, you know, who, um, you know, knew things that wanted people wanted to try, and the older generation is hesitant about certain things. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, give that has to go one side or the other. Right. Um, but for the most part, we're looking to make some changes in terms of, you know, looking into different um, new strategies we can mm-hmm. try. Um, there's still a lot of details that have to be worked into that. For sure. That um, we're not really sure on yet. Or
1: Well, I've seen that Creamery has been added to the name, and it, that wasn't in the name in the past. So you guys are, and I know, I've seen on social media, you've been playing with like cheese and different things like that. So my guess is that has something to do with it.
0: Yeah. So... My sister and I were actually just talking about this before the interview because she's a little hesitant to be, you know, fully out there on everything. And um, I kind of feel the same way. I guess for our family, we've just always really enjoyed making our own dairy products on the side with selling to Dairy Gold. And we really love the partnership that we have with Dairy Gold. And, you know, there's always at least four different Dairy Gold products in our household at a time. But... Moving ahead, you know, there's some, we've always just had a passion for trying new things. Personally, I actually worked on a farm doing an internship making cheese in Mm. Minnesota.
1: Oh, no way. And
0: yeah, um, and my sister has always just loved experimenting with yogurt and butter. And so that's always just been kind of a passion that we've had on the side and So with the creamery aspect, we're kind of just exploring some different ideas and thinking about some fun new products that we could try, even if it's just, you know, like a really small thing that we look ahead to in the future.
1: Well, that's the way to start, Mm -hmm. right? And just kind of see what works. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you been experimenting with? I've seen on social media, like a couple different kinds of cheese you've been playing with. Talk about how that's gone and what you've been experimenting with.
0: Well, I'm the cheesemaker, and my sister's more of kind of the yogurt maker. Mm-hmm. The yogurt that we're working on is actually more of like kind of a cheese. It's originated from Iceland, and mm-hmm. it's called Skier. Um,
1: I've never heard of that.
0: So yeah, it's it's very rare. Um, you know, there's only, I think, one other company in the United States that makes it, and they're wow. in New York. Um And so we've been working on that just kind of, you know, for home enjoyment and sharing with family and friends. And then for me, I've made a couple different types of cheese, including ricotta, Mm. mozzarella, queso blanco, Mm. and um, one other one that I can't remember the name of right now, but all Mm. just fresh cheese, you know, that we can just enjoy fresh from our farm milk. You know, that's Mm -hmm. just something we've always loved doing ever since we've been young you know my dad was teaching us how to make yogurt when we were little toddlers walking around he always made yogurt when we were younger that's just something we've always loved so
1: yeah but not everybody does that yeah so you're fortunate to kind of even have that in your background Mm -hmm. and your family is like cool with hey you know let's at least try some of this stuff yeah but like taking it to the next level, that's probably the question mark, you know, like how would you sell something like that? Where do you go with it? What do you do? You right. know, talk about some of those unknowns, not to pin you down to, cause I know you have lots of decisions to make, but describe some of the challenges of figuring that out. We, we usually on the podcast, we hear from people who are kind of on the other side of that, mm-hmm. who have figured it out. And, nope. This is what worked. And yeah, it was a lot of work. You're still in the middle of it. And I think that's really interesting to hear Because you're living it. It's not easy to, you can't just snap your fingers and be like, oh yeah, we make cheese and sell it.
0: Right. Yeah. And honestly, that's not really been something that I've been doing most of the work on um, because I'm also a teacher. And so that takes 99 and some of my time, you know, in school and out of school Especially with being an ag teacher, there's a lot of extra work that comes with that. So, to be honest with you, it's mostly been my sister who's Mm -hmm. been doing a lot of the details on this business plan that goes with, you know, adding a new product, adding a new aspect to a farm. So she would actually be the person to talk to.
1: Well, we're gonna get her on the podcast (laughs) one day. Yeah, but you can at least vouch for the fact that it can get kind of complicated, especially all that. Definitely. Businessy part yeah. where it, I suppose, it can feel like, ah, do we have to do all this stuff? But at the end of the day, probably a lot of it's for the best, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's the
0: challenges of figuring out where we would want to sell to and how we're going to sell it, all the details behind how we're going to package things and getting things cleared with inspectors, right? And getting, um, making sure that we're following all the protocols under the USDA. So there's been a lot of that, you know, that I've heard from, from my sister, but yeah. I really can't vouch for much yeah. um, just because I haven't been able to help as much. But now that summer's here, now that I'm done with school for the semester, um, I'll be helping out a lot more yeah. and we'll be, you know, just trying some new things this summer, making new products and just exploring a little bit.
1: All those general things you just listed, those are all the things that most people, including myself, don't think about when I go to the store and buy something, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, oh, yeah, you know, somebody, you know, raised cows, milked them, made whatever, you know, milk, cheese, ice cream, whatever, and then they sell it, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of stuff in that in-between part. And I think, yeah, we'll have to, like, catch up with you again in, it, like, a year or two.
0: Yeah, see what's happening.
1: And, yeah. Because, yeah, I'm sure you have quite the journey ahead still, not to sound like discouraging or be a downer. but
0: No, we, we know that there's kinda, a lot to go.
1: Yeah, you're up for the challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So talk about being a teacher too. You teach agriculture?
0: Yeah, so I just finished at Mount Vernon Christian, which is where I was teaching for the last two years. I actually kind of got half scrambled into a science teacher position mm. with a little bit of agriculture electives. I originally got an agricultural education degree mm. and, you know, was hoping to maybe go into doing FFA advising and, um, being connected with that in some way, just cause that's something that I've always been passionate about, at least since high school.
2: Yeah.
0: And, Then this job opened up and I kind of got scrambled into this position. And, you know, I wanted to move back closer to home and this position opened up. And so I was pretty excited about it. I have background in science, too, fortunately. That's the other side of the story from the dairy farming is Mm -hmm. um, science background. Right. And so I went to... Work in this position and was actually able to help develop an FF, a new FFA program at this school. Mm. But then a position opened at Linden Christian, which is my alma mater, where I graduated mm-hmm. from. So I will be moving to there in the fall to be a new FFA and ag advisor there, um, coming up here in September. so.
1: Well, congratulations for one. And that's really cool. What does a teacher at the high school level teach for or I I should say what does an ag teacher teach at the high school level like what are you teaching kids about agriculture and farming?
0: Well, it really depends on that was, you know, one of the first things that I looked at with the students who were at the school. I said, "What what kind of material do you guys want to learn? What should I teach you?" I had background from My degree in kind of just general fields of agriculture, you know, a little bit of plant science, a little bit of animal science, a little bit of soil agronomy. And so I ask the students, what do you want to learn? And I can find coursework for that because that's what it's all about. I want the students to be able to get something that they can take with them, especially if it's going to be something that they're going to pursue for a career, The goal is that they can have this coursework as a starting point to spark a career eventually. And that's what FFA is all about too. Um, So
1: is it like learning farming skills? Is it learning probably a lot of different stuff, right?
0: Yeah, so this past year, just with what students were interested in, I actually, I taught a horticulture class, you know, some on greenhouse management, on how to grow a garden, how to take care of your soil, how to take care of plants and all the works that go into that. And then just with what students were interested, I actually also ended up teaching a food science class Mm. and a, a wildlife and kind of just exotic animal biology class as an Mm. alternative to animal science. Or we did a little bit of vet science in the class as well. So it's, with ag classes, it's kind of focused on different career pathways that students could take within the field of agriculture. And it's, it's not limited to farming. You know, there's a lot more that goes into that. All the people who come into play with, you know, our grain truck driver, or our veterinarian, or our nutritionist, or our agronomist. There's so many people that come into that that are also connected with agriculture or even with the food science approach the person who's in the lab doing molecular biology work and looking at Mm -hmm. the composition of the food there's just so much that goes into it and so many different pathways you can take
1: but it's not like a school in the middle of the city somewhere is going to have that kind of stuff it's right In a rural community, Mm -hmm. folks are much more likely to be doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like vocational education. Mm -hmm. What about for students, though, that may never be going into farming?
0: Well, I've always really been passionate about the concept of focusing on those students who don't have the agricultural background, From a young age, I just loved teaching my friends who were from the city about what it was like to live on a farm, and it would just blow my mind that these friends would not know what an onion looked like. Like Mm -hmm. I pull it out of the ground, and they'd be like, "What is that?" You know,
1: looks different than when you yeah when you get at the the store or
0: corn. You know, I distinctly remember at a young age being at a grocery store with my mom and seeing these kids look at a. An ear of corn with the
1: and still on the
0: in still on the husk and still in the husk and and they're like mom, look at this, this corn has like a cover to protect it on it. And I I just remember looking at my mom like, these kids are idiots. But I just, you know, I didn't realize, you know, people don't have that kind of background like I did. And I feel bad now, like, you know, thinking those people were stupid. You were being judgy. But, you know, I I should be thinking (laughs) about instead, how can I like help people learn about these important things? And so that's always been something that has driven me that's what drove me to be an ag teacher you know i want to teach kids about how to grow food and why it's important to know about where your food comes from and you know just taking care of yourself too in that mindset you know of um understanding what you're putting into your body
1: yeah are there some students who aren't farming background kind of you know come from families that maybe aren't around farming that do get into agricultural classes
0: yeah, I in high school. I think that there's always a passion with agriculture teachers to try to draw those kids in, you know, to get yeah. a variety of students. And it really just depends, too, on, I guess, how they advertise the program and try to draw students in. And that should be something that drives the different coursework, too. You know, like the food science class. I Most of the kids in that class were not farm kids. Mm. They just wanted to learn about food. And so we learned about how to grow food and how to cook food and, um, you know, what different ingredients do to your food. And I think that was a bit of an eye opener for some of those kids that don't have the farming background, you know, just to see, understand where, where does baking soda come from or where does salt come from? And, you know, just getting in on the details of those simple things that, we don't think about normally.
1: I bet there are a lot of adults now who have, you know, graduated high school, maybe graduated college, who knows, maybe they even have their masters or doctorate in something, whatever, but I think a lot of people gain that kind of fascination and interest in food and where does it come from sometimes Mm -hmm. later in life. I Mm -hmm. bet there's a lot of people who would like to go back and take one of those classes just to be like, yeah, I want to learn more. And I don't want to just go to Google university for it because (laughs) you Google, who knows what you're going to get. Right. Yeah. So ag teacher plus farming, how are you, what, what if things get busy on the farm? What, what are you going to choose? Are you going to be able to do both?
0: Well, I actually negotiated that with my new position that I will be part time. Mm -hmm. So, the goal is that part of my time can be spent working here on the farm, and then the other part of my time can be invested into teaching. I thought about it a lot before I accepted this new position and realized I don't want to stop teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, I really love building connections with students and seeing you know, how they grow over the course of even just a few short months. It's amazing how much I can share with them and, you know, just getting them engaged in science and agriculture. It's it's inspiring just yeah. to see how they get so excited about the world. And so I didn't want to give that up. Um, so I'll be working part-time at Linen Christian. And then, you know, in the summer, I have summers off, so yeah. then... I'll be able to be on the farm a little bit more during the summer.
1: And that's when it's the busiest on the yeah, farm too. Yeah,
0: definitely. This right now is the really busy time here in June, end of May.
1: So what's all going on on the farm to make it busy in May and June?
0: Well, right now there's a lot of field work that's being done, um, chopping the grass. And we let our cows out to the pasture every summer. Um, so then they're the lawnmowers instead of yeah. us. Yeah. So there's you know, fences to fix. There's, um, irrigation to get started on. We usually don't start irrigating until later in the summer, but you know, just making sure that all the equipment is up and running and a lot of the equipment on this farm is getting a little old. So making Mm -hmm. sure that it's all managed and under control. My dad does most of that though. So I can't really vouch for much that goes (laughs) on with that. There's a lot I'm sure. Um, but yeah, being on a dairy farm, there's just always something to do, whether it's fixing fences or pushing up feed or milking the cows, of course. It's always busy.
1: So do you get to do any of the field work? Do you ever get to spend some time on the seat of a tractor?
0: I used to help with the hay. Yeah. And now we have the larger bales, so we don't do much of the smaller stuff anymore yeah but there was one time where i was and this was the last time i was trusted to drive the hay tractor <laughs> which was when i was about nine i think i was driving the hay wagon tractor
1: oh i'm sensing ba- something bad coming
0: here the clutch just popped out and all the bales fell off oh. it was totally my fault <laughs> sometimes other people try to take the blame like oh no it's fine you know it was the tractor not you but it was it was definitely my fault (laughs) so all the bales fell off and my cousin who was on top of the hay bales he fell off
1: get hurt no
0: he was not not (laughs) but yeah that was the last time that I did field work
1: so then they were driving then they were like yeah no you don't get to drive Ellie doesn't need to do this (laughs) anymore (laughs) that's okay what's your favorite thing to do on the farm
0: my favorite is milking. Yeah. Um, whenever our milker, who's our one employee on our small firm, whenever he's gone, I get recruited to come help with the milking because I'm the fastest mm. and the most calm with the cows. Other people yeah. sometimes get impatient with the process. There's a lot of sitting and you know waiting for the cows to get done milking and moving cows out, getting the next group in.
1: So you bring a new group in and then you put the milking machines on them. Mm-hmm. Clean them first, probably. Yeah,
0: we have to clean them, and then um, we just begin with a gentle four-strip at the beginning to kind of get the oxytocin processing in their brain, get them just kind of relaxed, know that it's time to start, and then put the machines on a little bit after that. Um, And I don't know, I just have always enjoyed that, and I think maybe it's because I have the most patience of anyone in the family. They'll probably get mad at me for saying that, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have the most patience, and so I don't mind, you know, going through and doing that.
1: Well, you've got me beat. I'm known for having terribly (laughs) low amounts of patience. That's probably why I think growing crops is more fun than animals. I've never been as much of an animal person. Mm -hmm. You have to have patience when you're working with animals, right?
0: Yeah. Well, crops, I feel like you have to have a little bit of patience waiting for them to get to full harvest. Oh, well, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But there's always something to do in the meantime while you're waiting for that to happen yeah, that's too, true. right? So, you said your small, your farm is a small farm. Mm-hmm. How big is a small farm? Like how do you describe that?
0: Well, I guess back when my dad first started farming, our farm was considered big when we upgraded to from 50 cows. My grandpa had a grandpa had about 50 cows and now we have around 200 that mm-hmm. we're milking. That was considered big back when he started, but now that's pretty small. Um, And, you know, I guess some people would think that's really big, but we're milking 200, and then we have some younger stock, to replacement stock, so about 400 animals overall, including calves, young babies.
1: And your family is able to manage all of that with just one additional employee to come in and help with the milking?
0: Yeah, we have our one... Milking employee, and then my brother and my dad do everything else. My sister comes on the weekends sometimes to help out just for to be a relief person for my brother so he can actually have a social life. Yeah. (laughs) Because otherwise, there's no time. (laughs)
1: Yeah, for sure. Running a farm and doing it kind of the old way in some ways that you're describing, because the things that you're describing are how I remember my grandpa doing Mm -hmm. it too, you know. Still getting in there and starting the cows by hand and all that kind of stuff. Even though really it's not that much different than how a lot of people do it now. Even though they're robots and stuff. Yeah,
0: they're robots. That's a big deal. (laughs)
1: What do you think of the whole robot thing? Do you want to have robots?
0: Our family has talked about it um, for a long time. And we're kind of back and forth on it. Still kind of deciding what we want to do with that. But it's definitely in the options for the next generation.
1: I, from what I've heard, part of the issue is, like, they're super expensive.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: But I hear that the price is coming down for those from what it was a few years ago, even as more and more people install them. And I think more and more people are getting used to it because mm-hmm. at first it was kind of, like, scary. Like, you're going to send this cow into a machine to get.
0: Yeah. But no, the people are finding control. out
1: that, yeah, that cows actually really like them.
0: Yeah, the cows choose to go in there, and of course they get grain when they go in, so they're kind of getting like a little treat when they go to visit the robot. It is a valuable thing to consider. It's helpful for the farm because your cows that are really high in production at the time can get milked multiple times a day, and then your production's going up, and therefore profit's going up. Mm -hmm. So it does pay off eventually, I guess. So it's definitely something that we're considering for. But and it totally generation.
1: changes, and this is the part that I didn't anticipate either, but hearing from other people, it changes how they farm. You mm-hmm. know, like you totally set up a barn differently if you're Definitely. doing it that way.
0: yeah. My sister actually works for one of the companies that sells the robotic milking systems, DeLaval. Mm-hmm. So she'd be a great person to yeah. talk to about how that changes. There's a whole dynamic that goes with it of how farms have to change everything they do, pretty much.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I I'm imagine as you guys are in this transition, and what's the dairy going to look like in five years, ten years beyond? That's part of the mix. You know, yeah. it's like, are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? How? You know.
0: Yeah, you have to change pretty much the whole layout of your barn and. You have to change when you do the chores, when you do the feedings, when you feed the calves, just depending on working around other things too, like the milk truck coming to pick up the milk. There's, there's so many factors that go into yeah. it. We've seen, we've gone to a couple tours of farms that have them and just hearing what they've gone through with that. And like the Staps Twinbrook Creamery, we've talked yeah. to them about it.
1: Yeah, we had Larry on the podcast last season and. I don't even know how much we actually got into how the robots work. A lot of creamery
0: stuff was probably the main focus. For
1: sure. So you were kind of juxtaposing like the new ways and the new generation. And then you're talking about your dad and taking over for your grandpa. What's the history? How far back does this farm or just dairy farming in general, in general go in your family?
0: So my, Great-grandparents first moved here from Minnesota in 1941, Okay, and they farmed here. They had a couple cows, and um, then my grandpa and grandma, this is on my dad's side, mm-hmm. they had just gotten married, and my grandma's parents, they just moved out here. You know, they bought this farm, and... I think they had some chickens as well. There used to be a huge chicken coop here on the farm, Mm -hmm. so they had a lot of chickens. And my grandma and grandpa, you know, they had just gotten married, and they thought, you know, we're just going to go with them. We're going to go on a new adventure. And so they all moved out here. My grandparents originally had a farm on Bartlett Road, Hmm. And we're farming there for a couple years and then my great-grandparents decided that they wanted to Retire and they said hey, you want to buy this farm their new brand new son-in-law? Basically, they said you want to buy this farm and he said, yeah, sure i'll buy it and so my dad was four years old when they moved here Hmm. and he left for a few years to go to college Wasn't sure if he wanted to farm. I think he originally went for an engineering degree, and then Mm. he decided, I don't want to sit in an office all the time or in a lab or (laughs) somewhere boring inside. I want to be a farmer. And so he started working on the farm again, and then eventually, um, 1981, I think it was, my parents bought the farm and moved here. Then they also bought my other grandparents' farm. Mm. So both my grandparents, both sides were dairy farmers. And mm-hmm. so both my parents grew up in that industry and both wanted to stick with it. So they farmed here. And then we also farm um, my other grandparents farm as well over by the Nooksack River.
1: Crazy. Because that's how my family was too. Both sets of grandparents, small dairy farms. But we didn't continue it on. My dad's a raspberry grower, not a dairy farmer.
0: Dairy, berry, they're connected. <laughs> yeah,
1: they are. But definitely a different lifestyle between the two as well. What about further back in your family? Do you know like your great-grandparents? Did, what about before them? Do you know anything about how far that goes back in the family?
0: From what we understand of looking all the way back to Holland, which was mm. where my great-grandparents originally moved from, they were all dairy farmers too. It was... Mm. I guess a steensma thing to be a dairy farmer. They have been doing it for as far back as we can see. Really, but you know that's how everybody used to be. Everybody used to have a couple cows and a couple yeah, chickens. That's and true. Have their own little tiny farms with a horse too, maybe. And so,
1: was it your great grandparents that came from Holland, or was it generations even before? Yeah, my that?
0: great my great grandparents moved here from Holland. Um, my grandma's parents, and they originally moved to Minnesota, and then. Yeah moved here in 1941 and so I guess that makes my siblings and I the fourth generation on the farm here
1: but technically you could be like a
0: seven eight nine (laughs) who knows dairy farmer way way
1: back in the old country as some people (laughs) say yep what does that feel like kind of in some ways inheriting that legacy but also getting to continue it on
0: I've always felt really proud that my family is so connected with the dairy industry, and I think that's really what has sparked a lot of the values in my life, Mm. like agriculture and like cheese making, and really all my hobbies are just kind of associated around that, and it sparks a lot of conversations in my friend groups as well. It's just always been something that's really important to me and I'm really proud of that, that I can share that story and it can be a part of my life in so many different ways no matter what I do. That's always kind of something that sticks with me.
1: You mentioned earlier... There have been tough times and I think anybody who knows anything about farming knows it can be pretty brutal mm-hmm. sometimes, whether it's just because there's a lot of work to do or because like markets are bad, prices are bad, it's hard to make ends meet. What was that like? And and yeah, what what has your family gone through with that?
0: Most of what I remember from when I was younger was that there would be years where there would be zero income just because of the milk price being so bad. And I think, I think that was 2008 or something where it was really low. I was pretty young, but I remember just being worried, you know, what's going on? And I remember when I was applying for college and applying for loans, we were fortunate enough to have it that I could get a lot more loans because of that low mm-hmm. income for some of those years. Yeah. And part of what's made that happen, that our farm can stay standing, pretty much, is because of how passionate my parents are, and I'm really inspired by that, that I see in them. But my mom also has, for the past 30-plus years, worked. Um, she's a college professor at Trinity Western University. So she that's part of what's helped us stay standing, is having yeah. that job on the side to be a second support when we've needed it when the farm when the milk price hasn't been good and the farm is kind of on edge in some ways so that's really what's helped us in a lot of ways
1: you, know, you talked about your dad having a engineering background from mm-hmm. college and stuff and deciding he really wanted to stick with the farming and talk about your mom then too she's a college professor mm-hmm. what what does what does she teach what she'll into
0: yeah so i have kind of a double background with agriculture, and then my mom is a biology professor. So Mm. she teaches animal biology, plant biology, but her main focus is marine biology. Mm. So every year she, well, not every year, every other year she goes to Hawaii to Mm. do coursework um, with students and teaches a class there and then does coursework, along the West Coast here with students. Um, yeah, 30-plus years she's been doing that. And part of that experience of having one parent who's a farmer and then another parent who also has a farming background but then has uh, their background with science and marine life, I feel like I've had a very science-based lifestyle yeah. ever since I was born. And that's been a really fun experience. That's part of what helped me get the job at Mount Vernon Christian mm. was that um, I had science background just from being raised by a biologist. Mm-hmm. You know, I had experiences that could help me with that and understanding the far- how farming is all connected with that too.
1: Yeah, what, what, uh, how has that guided, shaped your family's farm with your mom being an environmental science professor, you know mm-hmm. she's an environmental scientist. She, uh, there's a lot of talk about you know fish and how you know fish and streams and water quality and all that stuff fit together with farming. What what does that? Uh, how does that affect your your farm with her background in that?
0: For as long as I can remember, we have always focused on not just what we're doing with our farming practices to do the best for our cows, but also to be focused on how do our farming practices impact the environment around our farm. So as part of protocol, you know, with regulations that all farmers follow, we have buffers for the two streams that border our farms. We have the Bertrand Creek and the McClellan Creek, um, On the backside of our farm, we've always been really focused on and this is just how my parents raised me that, you know, we take care of the planet around us. You know, if we're walking, we're always picking up trash or Mm -hmm. we're um, looking for invasive species that was part of our hikes would always be you know my mom would say nope this is invasive species and that would be like uh, we're walking and we're pulling out invasive species as we're walking and you know pulling out blackberries that are taking something over yeah or something as simple as planting trees we've done projects with um, lots of different groups like the um, nooksack salmon enhancement and with student groups college groups high school groups having them come in and plant trees on our farm. And that's just one of the small things that we've done. But we have field trips that come in. And our focus with when these field trips come, where we're teaching students about the farm, is we also go to the creek and we talk about, here's the buffer that we have that we, you know, we don't go up all the way to the edge. We don't farm all the way to the edge because we leave this buffer here so that wildlife can live here. And that's part of what I was raised with, too. That we have, you know, all these domesticated animals on our farm that we farm with ducks, chickens, cows, but then we also have all these wild animals that mm. live on our farm. And it's not just about taking care of the animals that we have on our farm, but also about taking care of the animals that live off the farm. Yeah. And we always try to think about how we impact that too, you know, with making sure that the streams stay healthy because we have salmon that come into these streams all the way up here. Um, even though we're far away from the ocean, they still come here, you know, and we want to make sure that that keeps happening and protecting the earth. That's just how it was raised. And again, like we were talking about earlier with how there's a lot of people who just don't understand where their food comes from it kind of just comes as a second nature to me just like that it's just how i was raised and how i focus my passions and values and part of what drives my desire to teach people about that too because i've seen how important it is
1: you have such a good perspective on all of that what's your sense though of the the larger farming community Like do other people, other farmers around in the community that you're a part of and grew up in, do they embrace these kinds of things too?
0: I think they do. There's a lot of education about it now. Of course, that helps a lot. But I think that in general, we've just been more aware of it because of my mom's experience in environmental science and marine biology. I think that helps us to understand it kind of from a different angle But in general, I think all farmers know the value in protecting the surrounding landscapes because they know that if they don't take care of it, then they're not going to get any value out of it or any profit out of it. That's just kind of a general thing that I've always understood that farmers need to understand. If we don't take care of it, it's not going to take care of us. We're not going to get anything. I've out just of it.
1: sensed a total, like, not a total, but a definite change, even just within the course of my lifetime in the farming community to really start to embrace that kind of a perspective so much more than even, you know, 30 years ago. So I think that's really cool to see. I don't know if you sense that too, or if that's just me, but more and more people kind of getting it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I think people are realizing and even, just for any general person, not just farmers, I think people realize that every action that we take has an impact on the world around us, whether it's small or large. That's even something that I've looked at with my students, how large is our carbon footprint? Yeah, We don't realize how many things we do have an impact on our environment around us.
1: Being a teacher and a farmer at the same time and especially as that's how you're going to kind of continue to do it, these parallel tracks where you're part-time in one and part-time in the other. I'm sure that being a farmer affects your teaching, mm-hmm. right? And I always really appreciated that when I had teachers at any education level who were also working currently in that same field. It just gave them, in my sense, so much more credibility, and they would share yeah. lots of, you know, interesting things that were real and happening Right, you know, at that time in that business, whatever it might be, um, and farming is one of them. How, do, what about the other way? How does being a teacher affect how you farm?
0: That's a really good question. I don't know if I've ever really thought much about that before, but I do know that in something as simple as having a family farm meeting, yeah. I've brought in kind of some of my classroom management techniques. <laughs> Everyone kind of gets to a point sometimes where we all want to share our ideas about yeah. what's going to be next on the farm, or we all want to talk about something that's happened. And everybody, there was a point uh, recently at a meeting that we had where everybody was kind of just talking over each other.
1: Yeah. Everybody's passionate, and, and who I gets said, the floor? <laughs> okay,
0: we need to have like a talking stick, or everybody just needs to... Or I'm going to write your name on the board. Yeah, I I kind of just went full teacher mode. But in reality, I feel like the other aspect where this teaching background becomes valuable, and I haven't been teaching very long, so I can't take a lot of credit for this. But I feel like the area where it helps me the most is where, you know, I can take what I've learned on the farm and teach people about that and bring in... The different strategies where I have with organization or understanding how people think, Mm
1: -hmm. understanding
0: how students think or understanding kind of the process of how you have to explain things at a different level. Mm -hmm. I think that's helped me with understanding how to approach different conflicts that we've had to solve on the farm or, you know, making sure that we have standard operating procedures for If we are going to jump into this creamery thing, making sure that we have procedures that, you know, ha- how can I teach this to somebody else so that if we do start making these artisan products, yeah, it can't be all me and it can't be all my sister. We need to have some helpers and we need to be able to explain that yeah. to our employees that we might have or explain that to possible customers yeah. about how we make things and how how we farm and teach them about our values.
1: Now, you're the youngest in the family, right?
0: Well, my twin brother's technically 19 minutes younger. Oh, okay. (laughs) But, yeah.
1: But at the same time... You and your twin brother are the youngest. Mm-hmm. How do the, how do the rest of them react when you're the one that's kind of saying, "Okay, let's get organized. Let's, you know, I'm going to write your name on the board if you don't, <laughs> you know, t- wait your turn in this, you know, f- family slash farm slash yeah. staff meeting."
0: <laughs> yeah, I think they value my ability to organize things and. Especially if it's an area where I have expertise, like the cheese making procedures. I think they respect that and that I will know how to explain it at the best level because of my teaching experience. I think for the most part, I'm the one that they want to shove to be like the customer support too, mm. just because I'll be someone who knows how to already talk to customers from my experiences i was also a dairy ambassador so Mm. that helps that helped me you know gain some of the public speaking skills and learning how to talk to people about their food and especially the dairy industry
1: how do you explain what a dairy ambassador is in a nutshell because i i have been around that being growing up in this farming local farming community whole life Mm -hmm. but i've had people ask me oh what's what's that all about is this like pageantry and you know like how do you explain it having gone through that program and been involved with that
0: traditionally i think it was more of a pageant back in the day that it was just kind of this young woman it it's i think anyone from the age of 17 to 24 can apply Hmm. for the position And originally, I think it was just somebody who was kind of being a representative, Um, you know, just this young woman who would go around to schools and hand out, you know, milk and cheese and ice cream to kids. But since then, it's grown a lot. And it's throughout the whole country, from my understanding. And each state kind of has their own program that they do, depending if it's a dairy state or not. But with the program that is in Whatcom County, which is the one that I was an ambassador for, the position is basically just a a woman who represents the dairy industry for a year. She goes around and educates students and really just any kind of group. I think Mm. one of the groups I went to was um, the Kiwanis Club and did a presentation with them. So just going around and teaching people about dairy farming and teaching people about the nutritional value of dairy products and really just being a representative for the farmers of the county for a year. So it's kind of like an internship and you Mm -hmm. develop a lot of uh, you get trained in how to be a public speaker, how to give speeches and how to interact with the public, but also just being knowledgeable about the dairy industry and gaining a lot of knowledge about that. I would say that being in that program was initially what inspired me to become a teacher mm-hmm. because, like I said, I realized how many people there were that didn't know about agriculture. Yeah. And I felt like I could, was kind of taking it for granted. And I wanted to, you know, share that knowledge because yeah. it's important to me. And I want people to know about how important it is to the world, too
1: did you ever have that people being like, "Dairy ambassador, you you yeah. did what what was that that you did?"
0: Yeah. So, I usually just say it's it's a representative for the dairy industry who educates yeah. about the the industry.
1: So, what do you think about the future? You want to do this for life and carry the farm on to yet the next generation? I guess like some in some ways ties back to when I was asking you about, you know, the opportunity, but maybe also the burden or the pressure of continuing on your family's legacy of farming mm-hmm. I don't know what do you think about when you look to the future what's your what's your dream outcome
0: I think there is a lot of pressure definitely associated with it and you know kind of pressure in that you know maybe there's kind of an expectation that we have to carry on the tradition just because like said that we could be the seventh or eighth or ninth who knows right <laughs> from the motherland yeah And so there is kind of pressure with that. But at the same time, we've all just become so passionate about it that we do want to keep going with it, especially for me, just with seeing how impactful this has been on my parents in in a good way. Mm -hmm. There's challenges, of course, but for the most part, good. You know, just seeing how passionate they are is inspiring to me. And from their legacy, it's kind of passed on to me and I've become really passionate about it as well. And yeah, I could see myself doing doing this for long term because I enjoy it and it's really important to me.
1: Well, Thanks for doing it. And thanks for educating you know, students along the way and you know, diving in headfirst into, you know, even rethinking how your dairy works and like you're you're doing all of it right now. It's got to be a lot.
0: Yeah, it is a lot, but tired? I tired. Like, sometimes I like being busy. And I, there's that saying that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. And even while there have been times for me that it's been really stressful, I feel like moving now, especially into a position where I'm fully focused on teaching all coursework that I'm especially passionate about. Yeah. And then I'll be farming for the other part of my time. I don't think it will feel like work. I think I will really enjoy it and be happy.
1: If people want to follow you and your family's journey on the farm, where can they go? You're on Facebook, right? Yeah,
0: we're on Facebook and Instagram.
1: What's it called? Steensma Creamery. Creamery. Mm -hmm. All right. And it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. People should follow. and Because you have a lot ahead of you, and there could be a lot of changes. And who knows, maybe you'll come up with... A whole different, you know, twist on it in the yeah. process of going through all of this.
0: Yeah. And we we really enjoy that aspect of the farm life too. Just sharing with people on our social media about what we're doing from day to day. Sharing about our wildlife experiences. Mm-hmm. A couple of days ago, we had an eagle up in our tree that's mm-hmm. been nesting there for at least, you know, my whole lifetime. So at least 20 years. And you know, we just love sharing and telling people our story and we want to keep doing that. So even if we don't go anywhere from here, if we just keep farming as we're farming, um, we just love sharing our story and telling people about our experiences.
1: Well, thanks for doing that right here on the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time and being willing to talk about it, even with a lot of unknowns ahead of you yet. So I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food.